0: May the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I will leave you all to ponder the birth of Moses, which begins the book of Exodus. And the story continues, of course, next week. But the reading that inspires me this morning is the gospel I just pronounced. Last fall, when I learned in the Sunday Globe that a classmate of my hours had died in Florida, I emailed our mutual friend who wrote back immediately that he was in Brigham and Women's Hospital and so I went out there and had a long private conversation with him during the course of which and I don't know why the name of J.H. Newman came up. My friend in particular was keen being of Irish background to tell me that Newman had taught college in Dublin. Cardinal Blessed John Henry Newman, who died in 1890, was probably the most prolific writer and most fascinating cleric of his age in England. Halfway through his long life, He left our Mother Church, which is the Church of England, as you know, to become a Roman Catholic priest. And most of us harbor no hard feelings. (laughs) A poem he wrote has become one of the hymns in our hymnal. Lead Condé Knight, however, was in the previous hymnal, and even more popular, I believe, and that one seems to have disappeared. And last Sunday the Recessional Hymn was written talking about the words, of course, by one of Newman's cohorts, who had the ability to make write poems that the average person could easily understand In today's gospel, Jesus says to Simon, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Those words are inscribed in Latin, naturally, on the front of St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. And they are an important part of the theology of the Roman Catholic Church. It is a strong pull, these words and the sentences that follow, for people who go over to Rome, as they used to say. But remember, of course, that the road between Canterbury and Rome is very much a two-way street. I remember the amazing days of the second Vatican Council when I had to learn the word ecumenism which includes the kind of unity we pray for in the collect of this day in that decade we had two consecutive church unity services with St. Mary's in Lynn. And uh, at that time, I was serving as the assistant at St. Stephen's Memorial Episcopal Church in that city. The first time we had a service, was in the gymnasium of one of the parishes, since closed. But the second year, we had the privilege of going into the church of the parish, St. Mary's, itself. Nowadays, we seem to be drifting further apart. But in any event, each of us should know the significance of those words in today's gospel for ecumenical relations. Those words, this gospel, is the elephant in the room in most interchurch gatherings. Now, it took a hundred years to build the present St. Peter's Basilica, and in that time, a lot of people in Northern Europe had turned into membership of various kinds of denominations. And the quote on St. Peter's, and I even think inside about the high altar, was meant, along with that magnificent structure. To make a vivid statement. But we are not here to solve the problem of church governance. I was told how long a homily was appropriate, but I think I've failed to stay within those bounds. (laughs) However, Today, I am going to limit myself to three thoughts based on the gospel I read. Number one, Jesus calls Simon by a new name, Peter, which is the Greek word for rock. And sometimes St. Paul calls him in the Hebrew language, Cephas. And nowadays, people are starting to say Kephas because that's closer to the letter in Hebrew, the hard K. And Jesus says in Matthew 16 that the gates of Hades, or in the old translation, the gates of hell, Shall not prevail against the Church. Newman lived in the time of the First Vatican Council that declared the Pope to be infallible. Imagine my surprise when my theology professor said something similar based on the verse that I quoted. Only he used an even more obscure word. He said that the church is indefectible. Which means, I think, not that the church does not make mistakes, but that it will not fail, ultimately. The church has a mystical marriage bond with Christ, her groom. And Jesus will not file for divorce. Don't tell my superiors, but I have to be honest that I'm sad to see churches closing. Not least because some of those parishes were places where I used to do what I am doing here today. And almost every day, emails from the Episcopal Church Center in Manhattan bringing news of one lawsuit after another in our churches and dioceses about the uh, around the country concerning dogmatic schisms and parish factions and physical malfeasance. And then there is the personal toll. Once, a few years ago, I read a biography of a popular Catholic priest, popular because he had a lot of what we call charisma, in South Florida. And he was outed by one of those tabloid papers in a scandal with a divorced mother who was, had been his one-time parishioner. Eventually, our bishop down there, our bishop, took him into our fold. But his friends in his former life told him, why in the world are you going over to a sinking ship? Decades ago, you know, we had a good interfaith clergy group where I live. But even then, the Catholic pastor who hosted us asked me one day, to my great surprise, are you aware that the attendance at Mass is not what it used to be? Sometimes it seems... That the nave of the church, which means boat, is like the rest of it, barely afloat in some places. But if we heed the promise of the gospel, Jesus assures us through his disciples that hell should not prevail. God will sort all things out in God's own good time. The church will not fall. My second point involves how we can help, by God's grace alone, to make sure that the church does not falter even though it will not ultimately fall. Though Jesus saw Simon as a rock, that wasn't the way Simon necessarily saw himself. For when Jesus told him to cast his net into the sea, in Luke 5, and Simon brought up a tremendous catch of fish, His first words were, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And when Jesus wanted to wash Peter's feet at the Last Supper, according to John, Peter objected, apparently from a sense of unworthiness. When the Cardinal Archbishop of England preached at Newman's funeral, He spent more time talking about Newman's contribution to our Anglican family than he did about what Newman had done for the church of his conversion. For example, I can wear a colored stole today because of the efforts of a group of Victorian members of the church of England that has come to be called the Oxford Movement. But their influence was far more serious and more substantial. Forgive me as I go down memory lane yet again, but in my childhood church, we kept the Lord's Supper at the 11 o'clock service only on the first Sunday of the month plus Easter. We approached it with a great sense of excited anticipation. This whole practice originated not out of laziness, but out of respect. The Church wanted to make sure that there were enough communicants present to receive. Even my time, I remember being the only one to go up for communion one summer Sunday in an Orthodox church. The priest had to order me to my knees for the general confession. That practice in my Episcopal church of my youth seemed to convey that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Now I ask myself, as I nap on the couch before the TV on Saturday nights, whether familiarity breeds contempt. When I finally overcame the barriers of parish favoritism, and became an acolyte, the rector gave me a little book published by the very low church Episcopal Evangelical Fellowship. It contained precise instructions about which candle to light first and which one to extinguish last. But more seriously, it contained suggestions on how to make a spiritual preparation for receiving Holy Communion, including an examination of conscience. With the prayer book we have, the Holy Eucharist, as we now call it, has become frequent and universal, and I have never heard one person complain. But St. Paul reminds us in 1st Corinthians to examine ourselves first. As we enjoy the fruits of the 19th century Oxford movement and the 20th century liturgical movement every one of us, beginning with me might ponder the meaning and the majesty of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And finally And lastly, and thirdly, I feel from personal experience that every one of us could use a little of Peter's enthusiasm. Some would say brashness, even bravado. The final chapter of John hints that Peter would go so far as to make the ultimate sacrifice for the faith. Matthew's Gospel Says, as you must have heard a few weeks ago, that Jesus walked on water. And so Peter said, Hey, I want to do the same thing. Peter reminds us to live life abundantly. And there are several turning points in life where we have to take steps and say, Yes, even if we don't know completely. What is on the other side of the bridge? The first day of kindergarten. The entrance into junior high, enrolling for higher education, deciding to propose marriage or accept such a proposal, raising a family in uncertain times, starting or enlarging a business, searching for a new job, facing the prospect of delicate surgery deciding to become active in the town, volunteering for or accepting new duties in the parish, Peter would probably have said without hesitation, yes, yes, and yes. I don't care to offend any of the saints in heaven, least of all the apostles. But isn't it true that a lot of times we don't want a new name or even a title as Simon received. But we would rather be one of those apostles that we, nothing, we know nothing about in the Holy Scriptures except for the names they were born with. Three things the church will not die. We need to purify our consciences and our interior lives. And being adventurous trumps being anonymous. These are three little thoughts on today's beautiful gospel reading. And I'm sure on on contemplation you can gain even more yourself. May the example And for those of us who may agree with this theology, even the intercession of St. Peter keep us clinging to the rock who is Christ.